You're listening to In The Company, a podcast about humanising work and designing better working lives. Each episode is curated to provoke you to think more deeply about the things that matter in your career and life and to build your toolkit for how to thrive as a human in business today. We explore how we work from the inside out. I'm Kylie Lewis, and it's great to be in your company. Welcome. Today, we're in the company of Bronnie Ware, a former palliative carer, singer and songwriter, speaker and author of several books, including the best-selling The Top Five Regrets of the Dying, and her latest book, Bloom, a tale of courage, surrender, and breaking through upper limits. The aim of this podcast is to be in the company of people who help us humanise work, and quite frankly, I can't think of a more appropriate person to interview for this purpose. Through Bronnie's work as a palliative carer, she uncovered that the number one regret of the dying was that people wished they'd had the courage to live a life true to themselves, not the life others expected of them. People also wished they hadn't worked so hard and that they'd had the courage to express their feelings. Her compiled list of the human condition in its final stages is a powerful call to show up fully in our lives right now. The list also seems to give us the permission we have long denied ourselves, which is to live our life true to us. Discovering Bronnie's work woke me up to the choices I was making in my own life. It's true to say that without discovering Bronnie's list, my own life today would be very different. I have a list of the regrets printed in my diary, and I use them often as guiding principles when making choices and plans. You can find the full list at bronnieware.com. Today, we're going to talk about how knowing these regrets shaped Bronnie's own life, especially working as a creative entrepreneur living with chronic pain and becoming a first-time mum in her mid-40s, as explored in her new book, Bloom. Welcome, Bronnie. Thank you, Kylie. Now, every time I think about your work, my humanity just keeps bubbling to the surface of (laughs) of my life. Um, And it's true to say that when I do look up the full list of the five regrets that you've got on your blog, um, I have a hard time actually reading those that full list without being very moved and becoming very emotional. So I first want to acknowledge to say thank you for doing such incredible work and putting such um, amazing insights out into the world there. It's been a profound uncovery for me. Thank you. Um, but really, I mean, I'm, I'm the messenger of those of those regrets. So, so the thanks actually go to the, the dear people who I looked after. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you. Before we dig into that, though, I wanted to just find out a little bit more about young Bronnie and what she liked doing as a child. And perhaps there might be an insight into how you came to do what you do today from then. Sure. Uh, well, one of the things I loved as a child was to, I had pen friends all over the world. So I was writing and I had a fascination with other countries and other cultures. And so now obviously I'm, I'm a writer of songs and articles and, and books. And, um, and I travel the world now and my audience is very international. So I think that that seed came from all those years ago. I also used to love walking over the paddocks on the farm that I grew up on, which is near Tamworth, and uh, and I was always very very connected to nature and had had great reverence for it. And now I use nature as 
as a tool for teaching often in, in my books and in my work. So, again, another seed was planted all those years ago. It was already coming through me as, as a young girl. Fantastic. And I know from having just finished reading Bloom how important that connection with nature is in your life in terms of staying you know, connected to who you are, but also too in terms of your recovery, which we'll get into it in to just a second. Because one of the other things that I also like to talk about with my guests up front is understanding a little bit more about things that you believe in in your life now as an adult and the experience that you've had. So, would you mind giving us an insight into perhaps three things that you believe in right now? Sure. Um, the space is medicine. Leaving space in your life is is the best medicine. We we can't be our best self if we don't leave room for intuitive guidance, for magic, and and for spontaneous fun. So um, space is medicine. Um, that there's something to learn about ourselves from every single person we interact with. It's not necessary that uh, necessarily that they've got something to teach us, but we can teach ourselves something through our interaction with them. And back to what we've just started with, that nature is the best teacher and healer of all. It's, nature has, has any time I, I need an answer, I go for a walk in nature and I can, I can just find the answer there through just through whatever I'm looking at. And, uh, and so, yeah, nature nature's the, um, the greatest teacher, no matter how much we can philosophise, we've only got to walk outside and, and sit and listen. Yes. Um, so, I, digging into the book and, and what you've talked about in terms of your connection with nature and searching for both um, finding a home that's close to nature and then also spending time in nature was really important, as I mentioned earlier, in, in your recovery. Would you like to just spend a few moments describing the what what you've covered off in the in the latest book and the latest chapter that you talk about what's happened in your life um, that led you to writing about bloom. Okay, um, I, I was very blessed to conceive naturally and quickly at, at 44, became a first-time mum at 45, had a very healthy pregnancy, had delivered a gorgeous, healthy little girl, Eleanor, and, uh, but straight after that I was um, started having some aches in my hands and feet and, and I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis immediately following Eleanor's birth and so I was catapulted into a, a major healing journey. I had, um, I'd left the relationship with her biological father when I was pregnant and for reasons I don't need to go into. Um, but I, but it meant I was a single mum and in chronic crippling pain. So Bloom shows, um, follows my journey through that with my, um, and the subtitle sums it up, that it's a, a tale of courage, surrender and breaking through upper limits. And what I came to find and to use my the example of my life through the storytelling is that no matter what upheaval we're given, it is actually given to us from a place of love and it is absolutely perfect for who we are individually and for our journey. And as much as I would definitely have never chosen consciously to go down a road of chronic pain where I, I couldn't even walk 30 metres and my two-year-old, when Eleanor was two, she was helping me get dressed. And um, it was it was horrific, the, the depth of, of pain I went to with, with the journey. And I'm doing really well now and riding a bike and jumping on a trampoline and and doing all sorts of amazing things, travelling. Um, but 
um, I use my life as the example to show that we, we all get sent really big lessons in life and but they're not actually given to us to, um, to as a trauma. They're given to us to crack us open, to bring us into our best self. And so through that story, I have the storyline, um, you know, there's a storyline of love, there's a storyline of longing for home and being back with nature and there's the story of, of my journey with, with illness. So, um, yeah, it's it's really, it doesn't matter if you're, you're sick or not, it's got, it, it, you know, the fact is, we have to surrender into our lessons and if we have the courage to do that we actually realize how much love those lessons are delivered to us with yes and so having read through the story and understanding or trying to understand the challenges that you faced as you mentioned um, a a single mum with a very young child in chronic pain um, and just the exhaustion of raising a small child you know is significant Um, courage is absolutely the word that comes to my mind when I think about that journey that you've had, um, especially after a period where you've given so much to other people um, through your palliative care work. One of the things that are, that um, came through to me when I was reading the book, I was thinking, when is she going to ask for more help? When is she going to kind of finally start <laughs> taking some of what she's given out into the world for so long? Um and a part of me was thinking that's the surrender piece, right? That's the yes. that's kind of coming to that place. You're coming to that place, Kylie, and also to uh, to realise that we're worth uh, we're worthy of of that help. And so all of us, you know, we, we get out there and we we expect so much of ourselves personally and professionally and we no, nothing good happens alone we, we cannot do it alone but for me because I'd always been so resilient and I'd always carried everyone through I just thought okay well I've just got to carry myself through this until it got to the point where I just thought this is ridiculous and one of the biggest insights I had in in the the journey which is in the book is just because I can do it tough doesn't mean I have to and when I got to that it was like you goose, you know, what, what are you doing, Bronnie? But like, and, and especially because I've learned so much about the importance of time and how sacred it is from hanging out with dying people for eight years and I don't want to live with regrets. And so I do, I have an immense amount of courage. I am definitely a teacher of courage because I know that to, to create a life free of regret, we have to be courageous. And but it also, but part of that courage is having the courage to surrender. It's not just the courage to have a go at things, but to actually let go of things, to have the courage to let go and say, I actually need help here. I can't be the person I used to be because, well, for one, I, in my case, I had a disease, but, but because we're not meant to be the people we used to be. If life is sending us a trauma to crack us open, it wants to bring us into our best self and there's no point doing all the same old things because, uh, you know, why, why would you have this lesson if the same old things were working? So what you've just described there is the paradox of courage, which is actually the courage is born out of vulnerability. Absolutely. And, yeah. you know, and, and we, we, we often think about courage being these brave, heroic acts and we somehow tie it with hyper-independence and, you know, that we, we can make it through on our own and it's just a matter of toughening up. But as you so beautifully pointed out and lived, 
you know, it's actually the, the, the courage to say, I need some help or, you know, I, I actually can't do this on my own anymore and I need to be connected with, you know, people that can service some of my needs for a while. That actually takes a heck of a lot of courage. Oh, it's, it's ridiculous. I mean, we need courage to get on and do physical things and be independent and do all that. I mean, courage has its place there. But it doesn't serve us in the, in the long term. The, the more real we can be, the more vulnerable we can be, and the more honest we can be with ourselves about our needs and, and just to admit, okay, I, I need help on, on all sorts of levels, um, professionally as well as physically it was then. Um, the more vulnerable we can be, not only um, the more open we are then to life's blessings, but the more we actually connect with other people. It's Independence is, you know, it's a very solitary path and and it is sort of a path of control to a degree where, where we're determined we're going to do it this way no matter what. And life isn't that clear cut. It's all good things have to have some some help. We're we're not an island. We're not meant to be on our own, and and not have, um, you know, tendrils reaching out. We're all meant to be connected. So, yeah, vulnerability vulnerability takes immense courage. And but once you get that courage and you allow yourself to be real and vulnerable, oh, it's just immense the the joy that can come from that because you you can just be real then (laughs) Mm, yes um we'll come back to that in a second because there are certain parts in the book where you 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 face down that courage that you know is also frightening Mm. um at the same time but you mentioned just before that just because I can do it tough doesn't mean I have to why do you think that we put up with so much before we we try before we surrender because we're shaping our lives around that first regret that our lives are so the first regret of the dying is people wishing they'd had a um, the courage to live a life true to themselves not the life other people expect of them um expected of them so we do shape so much of our lives, or we can shape so much of our lives around what other people expect of us. So we're, we're saving face and we're appearing strong. And all of this is got, has got to do with how we're perceived by our peers, by society, by social media, by our family, by whatever. So the more we can actually use death as a tool for living and face the fact that well, we're going to die and we're on limited time and there's a really good chance that we're going to get to the end with that regret if we keep going the way we are, that if we keep going the way we are, we're going to look back and realise we've lived our life according to the expectations of others. And so the more we can work backwards from that and say, yeah, okay, I'm actually, my time is decreasing every single day I don't have all the time in the world to make these changes and be vulnerable. It's going to take, it's going to be painful because it's going to take me to a place within that really scares me. But I can tell you now, there's no, there's, there's nothing life can throw to us that is going to be as painful. Well, there probably are, but there's generally in, in most people's cases, there's not much that life can throw our way that is going to be as painful as lying on your deathbed with regret, with the pain of regret, knowing that you actually had choices and you didn't exercise those choices consciously. So it does take immense 
uh, courage to be, become vulnerable. But so much of that lack of vulnerability is keeping up appearances based on the expectations of others. Mm. Yes. So having, you know, what will people think playing out in your head every time you make a decision rather than thinking, but what is it that I truly want? Yeah. Yeah. And am I going to fall flat on my face and be thought of as a fool? Yes, probably. But you're also going to inspire those people when they're on their own and they've actually got the guts to admit it to themselves. Like, you know, crikey, I was probably wrong about her. She's, she's a, you know, she's doing an amazing job and good on her. She's failed, but she's got back up and learnt through that. And yeah, that, that fear of failure and, and being seen, being misunderstood and being seen as a fool or whatever can stop so many incredible dreams from unfolding because it's, you know, it's all about what other people think of us. And I'm, I've been blessed with realising that that's so irrelevant and I can actually live my life my way and do it with peace and freedom because I know that it doesn't matter how, whatever anyone thinks of me is never going to be as painful as living an unconscious life. Yes. And you, before you were a palliative carer, you, you had a, a significant career in finance, in banking? Yes. In, in personal banking, yes. Yeah, working for quite a few of the banks, yes. <laughs> um, I did what was expected of me as a young girl straight off the farm. I went and got a job in a bank and, and I was good with customer service. I loved the, the customers and I was good with maths so, and numbers, so I was, I was pretty good in the job. But I hated sales targets and I was restless and in a lot of emotional pain from, from my childhood. And I just went from one bank to another, from one town to another. And as a result, I actually had an accelerated career path because I'd worked in so many different departments of so many different banks that each time I'd go to a new town, I mean, this is, it's different these days with the internet and everything, but each day I'd just go to a new, whenever I'd go to a new town, I'd just rock up at a bank and say, have you got any jobs? I've done this, this, this. Oh, well, we've got this job. And I'd say, well, yeah, I've sort of done that, but, you know, and I, I probably hadn't, but it was enough to get my foot in. So all of a sudden I'd find myself and as, as an assistant branch manager at, you know, 27 with no degree or whatever. And so there were things like that that, um, yeah, it took me 15 years of, of that restlessness to actually realise and to, well, I realised early on that it wasn't what I wanted. But I saw work as completely separate to life. I thought, okay, if my life's happy, um, it doesn't really matter what work is as long as I can leave it there when I go home. And then, you know, I have a happy life outside of that. But over time, I realised that that's not the case at all. Our, our calling is to actually do work with soul and with, with heart. And the more banking evolved into a, a sales machine, the more heart was removed from it. I think it's, there's a new consciousness in banking that wasn't there when I, when I left, but um, which is lovely. You know, the banks are getting very involved in community projects now and there's ethical banking. And if I was in banking now, I'd definitely be working for one of the ethical banking groups. But, um, but in those days, it wasn't like that. And, and I, I just couldn't 
it, it took a lot of courage to leave that industry because it was a good job. There was a recession on, da 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 da. What are you doing, Bronnie? You've got a good job in a bank, a full time job. Oh my gosh. And I left there and went and washed dishes on an island for a couple of years and uh, went, went completely the opposite way, just like I have to break out of this Monday to Friday zone and do something that has nothing to do with anything other than having fun. This episode of In The Company is brought to you by Grace Papers, a world leader in driving gender equality. Navigating a career and parenthood can be complicated. Grace Papers makes it easy by delivering online solutions that helps people transition from employee to working parent. Grace Papers is an on-demand program that can be started as soon as you're considering starting a family or when you're thinking about returning to work. It's customised to your situation and delivered to a digital device of your choice. Grace Papers is a human rights award-winning startup engaged by some of the world's most progressive companies, but available to potential and new parents everywhere. For more, check out gracepapers.com.au. I write a blog series called The Leap Stories, and I've also published a book called The Leap Stories about people who were taking courageous career leaps. What, what Was there a defining moment for you thinking, you know, I can't walk into another bank, you know, ever again, I need to just do something completely different. You know, what was there a defining moment or how did you get to that point where it was like all the all the bright lights and all the bonuses and all of that sort of stuff, it's not worth it anymore? Because mm. I, feel, I feel like there's a lot of people who just say like you did, as long as my life is happy outside of work, I'll put up yeah. with whatever I need to put up with and it's lucrative and it's comfortable and I know yeah. it even though it's I'm slowly dying inside. Mm. <laughs> It, it built up over a while. I think the first noticeable point was when I was putting on stockings and high heels one day and I just thought, this is just not me. And then, um, and it just festered to the point that I'd go, as soon as lunch was on, I'd always be in a park or by a river or whatever piece of nature I could find. And I'd always have my lunch there. And finding the the energy to go back into work after lunch was becoming really painful it was it was actually becoming a great effort and then I went up to Fitzroy Island on the barrier reef with my older sister and we did a scuba diving holiday and she was cracking onto our diving instructor <laughs> which was really handy to get out to pass our chest <laughs> and at the time so I, I climbed this mountain and I was sitting on it was a defining moment I was sitting on a boulder and so I'd seen that there was another life outside of this banking world. There were staff on the island having a ball and that was their office that, that they were, you know, working on a tropical island. And I sat up on this boulder on Fitzroy Island and I just thought, I've, I've got to work on an island. I, I just have to leave everything behind. And it was around the time, I don't know if it was the same year or within a few years of when Top Gun came out, and there was a song on Top Gun on the soundtrack called Destination Unknown and it was my favourite song. I had this this huge romantic view of me flying, you know, zooming off into the unknown and not knowing where I'd land. And so that's exactly what I did. I went back from Fitzroy Island, sold all my furniture, quit my banking job, 
um, whatever furniture was left, I sent it home to my parents' farm. And then I wrote to two islands, Fitzroy and Dunk, because of the, um, the location of them. And I just said I was willing to do anything, which was, you know, pretty crazy in a way when I had so many skills. And it was before the internet. And so then I did take off Destination Unknown. I took off and caught the train to north, towards North Queensland, just figuring I'll work it out when I get there. And what, while I was on my way, they wrote a letter to me in Tamworth. And when I rang my mum from one of those old silver phone boxes dropping 20 cent pieces in, um, she said, Dunk Island have, have written, they want you to ring them. There's a job as a, as a kitchen hand. And so, yeah, within a week I was living on Dunk Island for, and, and up to my elbows in Greece and, and stuff. But I, from that I learned to mix cocktails. I learned, you know, I ended up in the bar and that took me overseas. And, um, yeah, it was, it was a fantastic existence and I didn't even know what day it was half the time, let alone Monday to Friday anymore. So um, it was a big leap and it was all that romantic destination unknown thing and that was my first leap of faith and I've done many, many leaps of faith since and always, always they ask a little bit more of me and always the reward is so much bigger and better yeah well courage is a muscle they say so the more yes. you exercise it the stronger it gets yeah I'm a strong oh I've got it <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm wondering how you dealt with the inevitable voice that was in your head when it came to actually deciding I am going to leave banking and I'm going to do something else you know, those, the inevitable voice that was in your head that said, you know, but it's a recession and but it's this and but it's that. How did you, how were you able to overcome that? Well, I'd been shown a glimpse of what was possible and the pain of staying in banking had become too much and that is often the case that, that we have to, rather than pull ourselves forward for the, the law of, of pleasure, the, the pull of pleasure, we have to wait till it becomes too painful and I just knew sitting up on that boulder that I couldn't do it anymore. I just could not work in a bank anymore. I, I just couldn't give my best self to the customers. I just couldn't do it. I, I, there was something in me that was so in such a place of pain that I thought, okay, I've been shown something else here. I've been shown as a choice. And so, yeah, I went back with complete resolve that I, I had to quit my job and I quit it the day I got back from the island. Mm. Often in the stories that I discover with other people it is the walking away from what you know to spend and finding space as you mm. mentioned earlier to invite a different mindset in that enables us to get some perspective and we don't often allow ourselves that space to actually find the courage that we need to change and to recognize our choices that, that's right that's right Kylie and and we also don't you know, that those years on the island, I, I knew it wasn't my career and my soul's work, but by having a job with no pressure for a while, it's, you know, it's like that whole thing about the side hustle, you know, just keep, just, it, it took the pressure off so I could actually just earn a living while I sorted out stuff and went through a lot of growth and did a lot of healing and and yeah, I mean, it was still going to be a few years. I went overseas then for a few years and that's when I began as a, a, a carer, my first care role as a companion. But again, I didn't see that coming. And so I just took jobs that took the pressure off while I was trying to work out what, what worked. So we don't always know what we want 
but we almost always know what we don't want. And so if we dare to step away from what we don't want and, you know, give ourselves that little bit of um, fluidity in between, then what we do want actually, we become more open and our vision becomes clearer to see what, to be pulled towards what we actually do want. Mm, that's that's so true. I wanted to pick up on something that you also said then, which was talking about, you know, we're often motivi- motivated by pain rather than um, than pleasure. Yes. And one of the questions I had written down after reading your book and and hearing about your your journey with um, rheumatoid arthritis and the intense pain, physical pain that that brought to you, um, that has led to kind of this uncovery of surrender plays a massive part in our life. The question I have is, do you think we have to go through great pain to live more regret-free? Yes, yes, not necessarily physical pain. Um, We have to... I mean, yeah, we have to be cracked open. We have to be Mm. cracked open. And some of us have to be cracked open in a bigger way than others. But no one is immune from growth. And if we want to live, I mean, some people won't go, may may not go through massive upheaval, but they, um, but if we're going to create a life completely free of regret, and I have confidence to do that in my life now, um, if we truly are going to live a life free of regret, then we have to dare to be our best self, whatever that is, not as we define it, but as life calls us to be. And so in that case, yes, we, it, it's, it, there's going to be pain because we have to let go of our old identity. We have to let go of how we think life should be we have to learn to surrender and that is a painful process of, of developing faith and, and letting go of control of, of how, how we had it all worked out supposedly because even when we think we've got it worked out, life still throws a curveball our way. And so I do believe that, you know, it may not always be as extreme as, as my own cracking open has been, but I'm yet to meet anyone who hasn't gone through a major upheaval and, a few years down the track can actually stop and think, wow, this has actually made me into such a better person and brought me more into myself. Yeah. Mm. So there is part of that post-traumatic growth as opposed to post-traumatic stress, you know, that the opportunity to actually see something that has cracked us open as being a positive and growth experience rather than one that puts us in the corner of fear for potentially the rest of our lives. Um, and that that seems to me that work is all in inner work that we need to find our way through. How do you think some people like yourself are able to choose that path as opposed to potentially the other part, which does lead to a lot of regrets? Well, you know, I've witnessed the pain of regret. And it's very real. It, it, it's very, very real. And I could have stayed in banking forever. And, and, but again, it's that pain thing. It just pulls, pulls you back. So I guess I've just had a lot of pain in, in my past. Or the calling from my soul was just so strong that I, I couldn't deny that. And it's probably that more than anything because there's no way I would have ever seen myself as a creative person. I, Despite my mum being a singer and my father being a guitarist and songwriter when they met, 
my father was also an accountant and my mother a dietitian. So I was raised with this very Monday to Friday career path mindset. And it didn't matter that we also had music, musicians dropping in for three months at a time and lots of music happening. I had been bred to believe in, in the Monday to Friday nine to five life. And it would have, there's no way without pain, I, I, I wouldn't have stepped out of that without the pain that it brought. And I'd have never imagined and seen myself as a creative type. I just saw myself as a as a young corporate woman. And now, I mean, my, my creativity and that's that's who I am completely. I, I'm grateful that I've got a great business head, which is really good for a creative person. The banking industry has blessed me with that and I think that no skills are ever wasted. But those skills that we gain in jobs that we don't like can actually carry us forward in a really positive way into work that we will love. And and I love my work now. I absolutely love it. And had it not been for the pain, so I guess what, what made me different was that the pain got too much to bear. And so it gave me the courage to keep making choices and, and I started recognising those patterns. And whenever pain kept coming up, I'd think, well... I don't, my, my life is too precious. I'm not going to spend my life doing what doesn't bring me joy because it's ticking by and this is not a practice run. This is it. Yeah. And I think I heard it from Oprah many years ago when her show was still on TV and she says that, you know, your life is always speaking to you and at first it'll speak to you in whispers and if you don't listen, it starts, you know, starts tapping you on the shoulder and if, if you're not listening, it starts kind of pushing you around until you like completely get bowled over <laughs> to say, hey, I'm trying to tell you something here. You've got to be listening and if you're not listening, then that's when pain really starts to magnify and intense because as as you said there was there was something else that was going on in your life um that was called you call it a calling um yes yeah but I also you know in the subtitle of bloom where I say it's it's also about breaking through upper limits you know Mm. I, I really had to break through a lot of stuff about did I deserve success or you know did I deserve happiness or or whatever i I, I had to break through and heal a lot of painful stuff and that I'd carried through and created as little Bronnie, you know, and, and my belief systems as a little girl. I had to go back and heal a lot of that stuff before I could actually realise my own worth. And so those life was trying to tell me this for a long time. But it was just getting too, I guess life just said that you're getting, you're too slow at this, Bronnie. Let's just get on with it. You haven't got all the time in the world to heal this. Get on with it. Let's crack you open so you can actually receive all of this goodness that is actually waiting for you because you deserve it like everybody does. Yes. And what was it like the moment that you started to claim that identity as being a creative person? Um, well, I did it with one foot in, one foot out. So what I did was I left banking. I'd gone back into banking when I came back from overseas, but only as a temp. I couldn't do Monday to Friday, but I kept the banking skills up while I was developing photography was where I first started writing inspirational quotes and taking landscape um, nature photos. And so I started selling those at markets while I was still working in banks and, and um for a little while, despite the island bit in the middle, I went back to banking. So it takes it can take a while to break the old habits, and 
and then I left banking completely, but I got an office job in a photography lab. So, you know, I thought that was my first step into it, but it was still just another office job, um, another like banking. But it was it was my step into it, and then that just became too painful, and I needed job with heart, and I just kept putting it out there more and more, and that's how I ended up as a palliative carer because I just thought I want to do something and I'd started songwriting by then as well and I thought I want to do something that allows me to devote time to my creativity without worrying about a mortgage or rent and so I took a live-in job as a carer and started doing this I'd moved to Sydney by then I'd moved around a lot and um and I was doing the songwriting circuit in Sydney while I was caring for what I thought was initially just as a carer and then my first patient became palliative and so that that ended up being eight years of looking after dying people and I still even during all those years I saw them as two separate entities that I had a job with heart that I completely devoted myself to when I was there as a carer but then I had this creative job on the side uh, doing the songwriting and getting and playing at a few folk festivals and stuff it wasn't until I was burning out from both of them that I dis- and then I set up a songwriting program in a women's jail and so I sort of blended the two together and it, it was only then and then I wrote the blog about the five regrets that I realised that all of those years of di- looking after dying people weren't just to fund my creative path, they were, they were the seed of my creative path and when I blended all of that together and realised then, like I've said, that no skill is ever wasted, I looked at all my banking history, my my hospitality history, being able to cook for people, you know, that helped me with my, my patients and their families. When it all came together, I just thought, oh, you know, this is... It helped me to surrender because I realised that life knows our needs so much better than we do and in the big picture, it was already in place just waiting for my readiness. Yes, and what I'm hearing is is every um, opportunity that presented which gave you more skills enabled you to leverage that in a new way but in, in, in your own creative way, not necessarily in a defined role or a mm. role that somebody was setting, you know, someone else was setting you up to and expected you to, to live out. It was, it was, you know, it was able, it was enabling you to kind of make your own creative role in the world. Yes. Yes, it was. And it was all gifted to me perfectly. And, mm. and, and with those skills behind me, each of those skills gave me another layer of confidence and every step forward gave me another layer of confidence. And, yeah, when I started teaching in the jail, I'd never walked inside a jail in my life and all of a sudden I was teaching and I'd never taught before and I was teaching songwriting to female inmates and and I, I just stood there and thought, well, I've sort of done all of this in one way or another and that gave me the confidence to even apply and to get the, to create the program. Yes, and so part of that is realising that nothing's ever wasted. Nothing. Nothing. No, nothing at all. And it all makes us who we are and perfect for the next level of our journey. Yes, and that right now is, is just as it should be. Mm. Mm, yes, absolutely. And for that, I'm enormously grateful. I mean, the the whole, all of it, the pain of banking, the, the pain of rheumatoid arthritis, all of it, um, you know, washing dishes on a tropical island in 40 degrees heat, it, it's all relevant because all of those skills have been utilised and, and further developed along the way um, 
to support my life's work and, mm. and to bring, bring this life's work to the, to the masses. Yeah. I would like to just switch tracks just for the last part of our conversation because there's a topic that keeps coming up in my work um, we're coaching clients and that's the topic of grief Mm. and it's something that we aren't really taught to deal with as children we're often very protected from grief Um, perhaps we we aren't in an environment where we have an opportunity to to experience it or we or we are very much you know tried to you know have been shielded from the pain of grief but it's an undeniable emotion that we will experience throughout our lifetime and I'm wondering through your through your work experience in dealing with with um, people in their final stages of of living and being around their families I guess at the same time but also to you talk about the grief of perhaps some of your expectations in your new book mm-hmm. um, that of, of things not going the way that you thought that they would um, what what do you know about grief that you wish more people knew? Well, what you said, that it is a part of our, our life experience, that we will all have to learn it at some, or experience it at some stage. It's a layer-by-layer layer process. Um, it involves a lot of gentleness and compassion for ourselves. And the more we suppress it, the more damage we're doing to ourselves in the long term. So, again, it's another layer of courage and surrender that we have to surrender to the grief. Things won't always turn out as we want. We will we will lose people who we loved immensely. We have to do it. We have to allow ourselves to feel it, to feel it completely and not toughen up. You know, we will come through it eventually if we're allowed to feel it. If we're forced to toughen up, then it's just going to explode within us through disease or through mental illness, through whatever. It will come out of us somehow. So we have to, compassion has to start with ourselves and and it's okay to feel grief. We can't just think we should be over it by now some people take years to 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 let go and still feel grief I mean sometimes I still dream about my my little dog who died when I was 14 and I find myself waking up crying because of of my little dog and it's there's so many layers that we, we can't always be conscious of but as a society we need to allow people to grieve and realise that it's not a failing to feel sad. Grief mm. is a part of life. And we've got to go gently on each other and ourselves. You know, I've learned to go very, I've always been quite a gentle person, but I've now learned to also go very gently on myself as well. And as much as we can feel the grief, it does come a time where our heart will say, okay, come on, let's try and get on with life now. We, we owe it to ourselves to try and be our best self. Take this grief and use it in a really positive way if possible. So as you mentioned, grief is layers and it does often pop up and reappear at times that we don't expect it. I often find that when I'm in my car driving by myself, um, it will come and set up camp again for mm. a little while. And 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 you're right in terms of I just need to be compassionate with myself to say it's okay to feel sad. I think we we don't give ourselves permission that very often to feel that. 
That's right. And and we don't know what's going to trigger the grief either. We can think we're through it and then something brand new will trigger another layer of it. And mm-hmm. it, it's part of our, our return to ourself. It's part of cracking open our hearts and returning to our the core of, of real love, of pure love, and grief is a part of that. It's not, it's not all joy and anger and, you know, denial and determination and all of these other things that, that life sees in public. Grief is, is just as real as any of that, and it is a part of the process that we, we have to open our hearts to. Yes, because you, you can't have the good stuff without the hard stuff. You wouldn't even recognise the good stuff without the hard stuff. Yeah, yeah. I'm wondering, you obviously learnt so much through um, the people who were, were were dying with their regrets. What was it like for someone who was perhaps a bit more at peace at the end of their life? Well, there were people who didn't who who didn't have regrets, and what I found was a common denominator was that they they had a, a sense of gratitude. Um, they also had good communication with their families and friends. Um, they were open to laughter, that sort of thing. And um, but it was it was quite incredible that there were more people that actually had regrets that didn't, in my experience. And that may just be because I had a good listening ear and that's what came out of people. I, I didn't force it out of anyone, but it seemed to just come out. But for those who died peacefully, it, it was beautiful to recognise that it can be done. It, it can be done, but they've lived a very honest life in their communication and in their expressions. They'd, and they could express their vulnerability, they could communicate with their families well, um, although, yeah, those those factors really made a big difference. Mm. You mentioned just before that you feel quite comfortable with the idea of living to the very end with no regrets. Yes. Do you, do you, think, it, you think it is possible to...? Yeah, I, I do. I, I don't think it's possible to not wish we could do things differently. Um, I, there's certainly things I can look back on now and, you know, I'm a 50-year-old woman now and I look back on 50 years and I can think of lots of things I would certainly do differently if I had my time again. But rather than... Because regret is re, regret is really only... Regret is a very harsh judgment of ourselves. And so as we develop in compassion, which compassion has to start with ourselves, then we can actually look back and say, okay, I did make mistakes. There are things I could regret, but I'm actually going to have compassion for my old self as who I am now because I've obviously evolved from that or I wouldn't recognise the mistake. And so I think it is possible because we can have in two ways. For me, I've got compassion for the mistakes I've made and for mistakes I will probably still make. And also I have an awareness of, of death and I use death as a tool for living and think, okay, if I do this or don't do this, which one's going to cause regret here? I've got a really scary decision to make. If I go this way, I'm going to regret it or which way? And so I use that um, awareness of death and regret to make decisions consciously all, all the time. It's just a part of my, my makeup now. And so I think it is possible to die without regret, providing we can have compassion for ourselves and our humanness for the mistakes we've already made and to apply as much consciousness as possible about the potential of regret to the decisions we're making now. 
Mm. And that's in all parts of our life, right? It doesn't matter whether we're talking about uh, our working lives, our, you know, our contribution to a community or to society or to our relationships with our family or our friends. Compassion is something that we hold for ourselves no matter where we show up in our lives. Yes, yes. And the more compassion we can have for ourselves, the more compassion we then have for others. And so we don't react to others if they're dumping stuff on us, whether it's in a work environment or at home, whatever, because we can actually step back and look at it compassionately and think, okay, well, they're really suffering at this moment. They're, they're taking it out on me, but this is their suffering talking, not, not me. Mm. And so that compassion can just, it can just heal so much. Mm. Um, I know you've also done a TED Talk and one of the things that you talked in the TED Talk was the difference between uh, um, self-love or self-compassion and selfishness because often people will think, oh, you know, that self-love and self-compassion piece, that's, you know, that's kind of like just an easy way out or, you know, for people that don't think of anyone but themselves. Mm. But what would you say to that? Well, we have to be our best self in order to serve others. And the more we honour our genuine self-care needs, not just um, not just not stuff like you know a bucket list of ten countries to visit, but actually, no, I need to have a bath. You know, tonight I'm I'm burnt out. Whatever. The more we can offer, the more we can genuinely treat ourselves with self-care, then the better we show up for everyone else. So self-care isn't about not caring for other people. It's about caring for yourself as well as caring for other people. And if you only care for other people and you don't care for yourself, you're going to either end up with burnout or resentment or regret or all three of them. And whereas if you have the courage to genuinely honour your needs, and we all have limits, whether we're well or not, we all have limits. And the more we can acknowledge those limits and create space to honour honor our needs, including joy and time out with girlfriends or, you know, whatever, um, then the better we show up for everyone. And and the more we do that, then we're leading a heart-centred life. And Anyone who lives a heart-centered life genuinely um, lives it. Then they actually get they they know that you you end up being called to serve anyway. So you just do it from a place of um, of sustenance rather than burnout or martyrdom or whatever. <clears throat> and that just seems like the perfect cycle of what's happened in your life and what you talk about in Bloom from the, <laughs> the giving and the giving and then actually needing, you know, the help and the assistance and the support and the surrender yourself. Like that just is a perfect circular, you know, kind of um, story that I've seen play out in your life. So it's, it's incredible to see those lessons play out. Yes, well, life gives us all full circles in, in different ways, some small full circles, some big full circles, yeah. Yes, yes. And I was, I was just wanting to check in with your, with your health. Um, as you mentioned, you, it, we mentioned for people who may be interested in listening from the very beginning, because as you describe in Bloom, the, 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 the rheumatoid arthritis was very debilitating um, early days and you talk about not being able to kind of use your hands to cut vegetables or you know just the pain of just them being on, you know on your the end of your arms how are you doing now I'm doing really really well I'm 
I started the journey just trying to heal it naturally. Then I went on to pharmaceutical meds, which helped me a lot, but they had a lot of side effects. Now I'm only on herbs, on, on Ayurvedic natural herbs, and I'm doing remarkably well. Only last week, actually, one of my fingers bent even further than, because uh, there's some joint, yeah, there's some joint um, pain in them. And um, as you'd know from reading Bloom, I had to give up my guitar for a while and I now have a contraption that this wonderful man in Ireland makes called Cordelia and it lets me play chords without having to put my fingers in the old positions. And But, I, but I'm finding that because it's brought me back, and I had a lot of grief with my music, but it's brought me back to my music and now I'm actually finding um, that I, I'm bending my fingers while I'm speaking to you now that that my fingers are, are coming back very slowly, but I, I'm doing some really amazing rehabilitation work with them. I jump on a trampoline, which I just can't believe that, that I have that freedom. Uh, I, I ride a push bike now and I'm, I'm doing really, really well. I, I think the, the real marker for me was seeing the Northern Lights in Norway um, over Christmas, New Year. It was something I always wanted to do and I was so ill that I couldn't even pack a suitcase, let alone go anywhere. I just couldn't. At, at one stage I had to get, you know, when you, you catch a flight and they have a lift for people who can't walk, I was in a wheelchair taken up into the, a plane that way. And now I'm, I'm travelling and I don't line up in the disabled line to get on first and whatever. And, uh, and I was standing there under the northern lights in, uh, in between Christmas and New Year, just gone. And the northern lights were dancing over me and, and that, was, that was beautiful to witness in itself. But it was more just like, wow, Bronnie, good on you, you know, good on you. you, you've got this far. And so I'm doing remarkably well. I still live with RA, but I, I live with it in a way that it's just a very gentle friend that says, hang on, don't push yourself too far because life life can be gentle and beautiful if, if you allow it to be. And and I feel that it is still reversing because I, I've, I'm noticing, I'm still noticing improvements. And um, and so, yeah, like as I said, one of my fingers bent, bent down and actually touched my palm again a, a few, not long ago. And I said to Eleanor, check this out, look what's happened. And she's like, oh my goodness, mummy, you know, that's fantastic. So I'm, I'm continuing to improve and for that I'm enormously grateful. Yes. And I, you know, after reading the book and hearing about your entry into motherhood, um, you know, in your 40s, dealing with a chronic pain condition and still creating an, a wonderfully um, creative entrepreneurial life for yourself um, that enables you also to be a wonderful mum and, and contributor to, um, to the broader community, um, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that you also have had the courage to choose, um, you know, that path in your life and to fully acknowledge the choices that you have. So thank you for putting the work out into the world that you have and sharing your stories with us because in sharing your stories, we, we will find ourselves in part of that as well. Thank I'm, you, Kylie. Thank you. I I'm, I'm, want to wrap up um, our discussion. So before we go, I've got two things. The first thing I'd like to ask you is what three things would you like listeners to take away from our chat today? Okay. Um, the courage to realise how precious life is, that they're not on unlimited time. The courage to realise that they are worthy of a happy life, however they define that, but they are worthy. 
And that health is freedom and none of us are invincible. So leave space because that is the, the best medicine of all. Leave some space with, without plans. Yep. Yes, because you're your most important asset at the end of the day. So space ah. to take care of that asset is top priority. Here, here, yes. We have 10 questions to answer in 10 seconds, our 10 by 10. Are you ready to rumble? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Number one, what I like about myself is? My courage. I beat procrastination by? Using death as a tool for living and appreciating the gift of time. Big one. A song on my life soundtrack is? Take it in by the waves due to my commitment to presence. Staying present, yep. The world needs more? Time offline and reconnection in, in real life. A phrase I live by is? Trust in the big picture. There are blessings to be found in every challenge. Something everyone must do is? To learn how to accept kindness as so much flows from that on the deepest levels. A book that changed me is? Footprints on the Path by Eileen Caddy. I'll be looking that one up. Fear and I? Are no longer close friends. I enjoy better friendships with love and courage these days. Something that always makes me feel good is? Going for a bike ride with my five-year-old daughter, (laughs) always. And number 10, my legacy will be? More courageous people in the world. And I am one of those as a product of your work. So, um, and I'm proud to say that um, that I, I feel part of your legacy. Thank you so much for spending this time with us today, Bronnie. I, I really can't tell you how much your work has impacted me and what a privilege it is to speak with you today. I'm really grateful. Oh, thank you, Kylie. I've enjoyed it thoroughly. And thank you for the work that you're doing as well. And many blessings to you with it. Thanks, Bronnie. That's all for this episode of In The Company. I hope you've enjoyed listening and tucked away a few gems to bring to your working life. To make sure you don't miss an episode, please subscribe to our channel. And if you've loved what you've heard today, please share it with your kinfolk who might also be in the need of some good company. And if you feel so inclined, we'd be super grateful for our review on iTunes. 